Welcome to Living Through the Word, the podcast ministry of the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word. On this podcast, we bring in different guests from across our diocese and around the Anglican world to discuss discuss topics that matter for you and your ministry today. I'm Julian Dobbs, the Diocesan Bishop of the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word, and it's great to have you with us today. The bishops of the Anglican Church in North America gathered together earlier this year and released a pastoral letter to the church. Twelve months in planning, under the leadership of Bishop Stuart Ruck III, this pastoral letter has been released to assist us in the province to help us focus our theological language, which might be employed within provincial ministries regarding same-sex attraction and how to support those who have a same-sex orientation and those who are wanting to understand more about these things. The bishops have sought to be clear because it matters to Jesus and it matters to his church. And we realize that language matters as well. It's the conviction of the bishops, while this may seem a small skirmish amidst the increasingly loud challenges in our day, Christian identity and language is ground that strategically identifies core gospel matters like biblical anthropology. The task force that wrote this statement uh, on behalf of the bishops was led by Bishop Stuart Ruck. Bishop Stuart first came to Church of the Resurrection as a Wheaton College junior on Palm Sunday, 1988. He completed his Master's in Theology at Wheaton College Graduate School, where he was awarded the Kenneth Cancer Prize for Theology and ministered on college campuses in Chicago with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. He became the Rector of Resurrection in the winter of 1999 with a focus on the presence of God, prayer and fasting and a collaborative and creative leadership structure. He was just telling me that even, even now amidst the pandemic, uh, people are meeting together and worshiping Christ on a Sunday morning at Resurrection. Stuart is married to Catherine. They have six children. Their first love and passion is discipling their children and developing their family as a domestic church. Stuart loves running and reading novels and biography and leadership books. I consider him a very close personal friend with whom I'm privileged to share in leadership in the church. Bishop Stuart, thank you for joining us on this edition of Living Through the Word. Oh, Bishop Julian, thank you so much. My only question as we start is, why did it take you so long to get me on here? Uh, well, you know, brother, it is just good to have you now, even though it's taken you so long. You are a busy man, and you're much uh, in demand. Just very quickly, how did you come to know Jesus Christ? Can you can you quickly take us on that that testimony? Certainly, yeah. I, I will give you the, the, the brief version. I'm so glad you're, you're starting with that. You and I are both so influenced, of course, by Africa and the revivals throughout Africa. And as you and I both know, that's the first thing that you want to hear somebody share to make sure that they're really walking in the light. Um, and so I am thankful for my testimony. I uh, was raised in a family where my uh, parents uh, became Christians. They, they both had a Christian background, but became really engaged in the Christian journey during the charismatic renewal movement, uh, in our case, in the Presbyterian church in the 1970s. And they brought me along to prayer meetings and brought me along to places where the ministry of the Holy Spirit 
was happening. We had excellent Bible teaching in our kind of high church, Presbyterian church. And so I was brought up in, in strong scripture, ministry of the Holy Spirit, and a Presbyterian version of liturgical life. So I had the kind of those three uh, consummate streams all a part of that life and uh, was overjoyed to be a part of that. Uh, went to Wheaton College with the hopes of ultimately going into gospel ministry. But along the way, I had some pretty challenging moments, uh, particularly around my parents' divorce, uh, which occurred in the, my early years at Wheaton. And I made a lot of disastrous decisions um, out of the pain and the utter disorientation that occurred amidst the dissolution of my family and uh, moved far from God and really into uh, the kind of full progressive expression in the Episcopal Church. I become an Episcopalian when I was 18 and was embracing that world and was all in and was pursuing a priesthood in Diocese of Chicago Episcopal Church. When I visited my previous priest, um, a man named Father William Beasley, and shared with him my journey, uh, he was still strong, orthodox, and uh, he, by God's grace, confronted me and called me um, in words that I will never, ever forget. He simply said to me, you need to follow Jesus. And those words just wrecked me and captured me. And they were the words that God used out of the scriptures to rescue me from the gray lands that were darkening by the day of uh, progressive Episcopal church world. So I returned to Jesus. I repented of, uh, of my sins. I sort of re-embraced my baptism that was given to me as an infant. And I began to seek to walk in the light and walk in holiness and uh, and be faithful to him. Well, thanks be to God that uh, he reached out to you and you said yes to Jesus. And I'm just so thrilled to uh, be be serving Christ and the church whom we both love uh, in this season with you. Bishop Stewart, um, over 12 months ago, uh, you and I approached the Archbishop, Archbishop Foley Beach, about a matter of serious concern to us. Can you just take us on that journey and 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 paint for those who are listening a little picture of what resulted in this pastoral statement from the bishops? Yeah, certainly. And I just want to say from the beginning, Bishop Julian, I mean, we do have hold a very dear friendship, and um, that's an incredible gift from the Lord. And uh, our partnership, which has been quite vigorous, did go to a whole new level together um, as we really led this task force together in this last year. And I'm just so grateful for that. Um, so very briefly, this really started for me some 30 plus years ago, where as I returned to the Lord and was coming out of a very dark uh, four year season where I had, I had not walked with the Lord, I become acutely aware of the profundity of my sin nature and um in a ways in which I had fallen. And as I came into Church of Resurrection, Church of Resurrection had a vigorous, beautiful ministry, still does, uh, to those coming out of all kinds of sexual brokenness, all kinds of disordered affections, Julian. And, um, and to me, uh, coming out of heterosexual uh, sexual brokenness, it was a significant ministry. And there were many who were coming out of same-sex um, attracted brokenness. And that just was very early on. So I was coming into a life in the Lord alongside other brothers and sisters who themselves were uh, coming into a life of the Lord as they were wrestling with and dealing with the reality of, of profound same-sex attraction. So that's an early thing for me. Mm. It's a passion for me, a deep uh, heart uh, that I, I have for the way God saved me and, and saved others around me in that season. And Rezus continued that ministry uh, to this day. So as I was watching um, the dialogue that was happening in the greater church and watching dialogues happening in the ACNA, I began to realize and do a lot of reading on the fact that the language of gay Christian 
was becoming uh, used more and more. And uh, with my reading, my study, and the ministry experience I've had, that created a lot of concern for me. Um, there was one particular event where uh, there was a, a teacher using that language, and I realized we've never said you can't use that language, but it was a provincial event. We've never been clear about that. So at this point, whoever, this particular speaker and whoever asked the speaker to speak, we're in a no harm, no foul situation right now. And, um, and I don't think that that should continue. So I reached out to you, and you and I had a really good, godly conversation about this together. And we, I realized uh, you shared the, sim- the same concerns. And we then uh, wrote a letter to His Grace, sharing our concern, uh, sharing that we, we realize this is a tension that may be existing within our, our church and that clarity might be needed. And from there, His Grace um, asked us to put together a presentation, and I shared with the College of Bishops an initial presentation January of 2020, kind of laying out the issue, helping them understand some of the language like side A, which would be those who are affirming same-sex marriage, or side B, which would be known as those who do not affirm same-sex marriage, holding to a traditional ethic on same-sex marriage, but do embrace and are quite strong about the language of celibate gay Christian or gay Christian. Thank you, Bishop Stewart. And for some people listening, they might be thinking, what the heck are these bishops talking about? If this is all new to you, there'll be a link in the show notes of this episode to the pastoral letter the bishops uh, released. Uh, Bishop Stewart, this wasn't a letter about gay marriage, and it wasn't a letter about homosexual practice. In fact, the, the Anglican Church in North America has been very clear right from the beginning that marriage, according to our Lord's teaching, is a lifelong covenant between one man and one woman, binding both to self-giving love and exclusive fidelity. We've been very clear about that. The ACNA still believes that. It's never changed about that. So we're not talking about that, Bishop Stewart, are we, in this context? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, uh, Julian, you and I share such a deep respect for our um, the bishops who are really our, our older brothers in the Lord in the college. And for their wives. These, these men are spiritual fathers, these women are spiritual mothers. And many of them took unbelievable pressures and hits to lead us out of the Episcopal Church. And, and my own spiritual father, Father William Beasley, was one of the first to lead out the Episcopal Church around this very issue of identity and sexuality. So uh, rather than wanting to equivocate on this, uh, instead what we have among all of our leaders and the College of Bishops, but especially our senior leaders, are men and women who have uh, who have paid the price um, in pretty profound ways uh, in terms of at least American context to uphold the Bible's teaching. Absolutely. And in fact, uh, our African brothers and sisters who reached out to us at the beginning of the uh, life of the uh, Anglican Church in North America, when we put together the Jerusalem Declaration of 2008, we said the same thing. In fact, uh, Article Number 8, we acknowledge God's creation of humankind as male and female. Notice that that's important today. And the unchangeable standard of Christian marriage between one man and one woman as the proper place for sexual intimacy and the basis of the family. So the Anglican Church in North America continues to uphold these core, important, heavy, weighty, but precious fundamentals of the faith that have undergirded uh, so much of our understanding when it comes to identity. 
Bishop Stuart Ruck is, is my guest today. Bishop Stuart, why does identity matter? Can you help us understand this? Because we're in a culture in North America where people seem to be so easily changing their identity, a gift given them from God, but they're exploring identity in other arenas. Mm. Well, certainly this is one of the key questions of our day. And as uh, the men and women who have gone before us um, in the Holy Church have fought different battles um, around Christology, around theology of the Trinity, uh, around how images should be used in the church, for example, um, certainly uh, key theologians today will say that uh, the, the battle that we're in is, would be a battle around biblical anthropology. Um, of course, what is man? Psalm 8. Um, and who are we as human beings? That is the question of our day. That's the question that God has sort of given us as leaders um, to be clear about. And if we're talking about anthropology, of course, it's just one step to say, well, then we're talking about identity uh, within the question of who we are. And uh, this is, again, a, an absolute and probably uh, overweening obsession that we as Americans uh, tend to have around who am I and what am I about? Um, but very, very important. And indeed, the gospel, uh, because of the gospel that has the, at the heart of it, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, right? Fully God, fully man. The gospel and the incarnation reality of the gospel cares very much about the person and around personhood. And it's personal. Um, you know, I often say when I teach around identity, this is one where you can't say this isn't personal. We, we love to say, right? No, this is personal. Yes. This is at the very heart of it about the person. And so, um, the good news is our culture is struggling with identity, and we have an outstanding message to proclaim lovingly, gently, but by gum, determinedly, that the gospel speaks to identity of who we are as men and who we are as women in Jesus, who has uh, proclaimed and rescued um, our very person and given us an identity in him. You're you're very passionate about this. Just just, rec <laughs> yeah. just recently, Bishop Stewart, somebody said to me, "The Anglican Church in North America seems obsessed with sex." What say you? <laughs> what, what say you about that? And 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 why might it be? Uh, here's a question: Why might it be that some could be forgiven to think there is an obsession about sex? Because there's so much about this in the scriptures. But what say you about that? Oh, it's such a good question, Bishop Julian. So um, on the face of it, of course, I can see why people would feel that way. And in part, as those who are called to preach the gospel to a particular generation, because we are dealing with questions around identity, um, sexuality will follow soon after that. So we follow incarnation, and then we follow identity, and then we, we have the realities of, of sexuality. And of course, uh, sex, you know, the, the, at the heart of that, it's biological sex. You speak of one sex, you speak of one's biological sex, whether one is male um, or female. And what I would like to say is, while we're not obsessed with sex, we are obsessed, and I want to be careful how I frame this, but we are obsessed with marriage. And what I mean by that is not, first and foremost, the earthly marriage of male and female, because the Bible teaches us that that is a reflection, that's a mirror, that's a teaching, if you will. Um, it's a dramatic display on this earth of the ultimate marriage, uh, that we know throughout the Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament, in which uh, God wants to uh, be in a marital relationship is one of the key metaphors that our Lord uses to speak of his desire to save us. And the Bible begins with a marriage with Adam and Eve. It ends with the glorious marriage feast of the Lamb. Of course, we have marriage images throughout Isaiah, throughout Hosea. Um, 
the, the, the first miracle of our Lord is at the wedding of Cana at Galilee. So we are obsessed with the reality that God wants to live with us in the closest of relationship, um, where he is our bridegroom. Uh, the church is the bride. Israel is called the bride. And that is the driving metaphor, not the only metaphor, but one of the driving metaphors of how God saves us and how he sees us living throughout all eternity in this wedding feast of the Lamb. So our obsession should rightly be, if you will, with a biblical understanding of marriage, um, rightly defined. The bishops say in their statement, and I quote, in this pastoral statement, we seek to address the need we perceive for greater clarity regarding pastoral ministry to those who self-identify as Christians and who are same-sex attracted, especially those within our greater ACNA flock. I want you to talk to me uh, a little, Bishop Stewart, about how we how we engage together with others to form this pastoral statement. You and I spent, and others, spent considerable periods of time talking to people who have a different perspective about uh, many of these matters than you and I do. Can, can you help us and help those listening understand how we gathered information with regards to this pastoral statement? Yeah, I think that's really, really important. And I, I could imagine that for some maybe who are a bit more jaded or cynical, perhaps for good reason, they might think that it was purely kind of a check-the-box political perspective as to why we did so. And I, I want to say with all sincerity, that wasn't what drove me. Um, what drove me was, A, knowing that, um, that, that the larger kind of evangelical church is in a major process of uh, understanding and discerning kind of its theological bearings. That has an influence on us in the ECNA. So I'm, I'm aware, for example, of, of tensions around the language of should it be gay Christian or should it be same-sex attracted Christian or should it be Christians who experience same-sex attraction? I was very aware of that. And I always want to make sure that I've done my very best um, right. This is just this is just kind of how we've been educated properly and well to understand another perspective and to actually give it every opportunity in charity to understand it. Um, and so I had already before I taught on this years ago and I already reached out to a key proponent of the celibate gay Christian perspective to engage them and understand what they were teaching and why. And and I basically just replicated that concept when we put this together by uh, speaking with several different uh, leaders men and women across the ECNA, who I suspected might disagree with, um, with the perspective that at that point I was holding, although wanting to hear more, which was that the language of gay Christian would not be biblically aligned. And so we did that. And I want to say in all sincerity, I learned a great deal. And Julian, I think you would say the same. Um, I learned a great deal. I understood better. I, I can promise that it changed uh, tone. It changed some sentences in terms of listening to folks that did not fully agree. And I knew that they ultimately would not say, yes, this is exactly what I would want to say. Um, but I would hope that they heard in uh, what we wrote at least um, their proper um, influence in places that were helpful and good. Um, at the same time, we listened to a lot of different folks. We listened to practitioners. Uh, we listened to priests, deacons, uh, men and women. We listened to uh, psychologists. We really tried to, we did broad reading as well, kind of start an inductive method at the very top of the triangle with a triangle, you know, large part at the top, moving down to a clear and careful conclusion. It needed to be conciliar, um, if you will, um, even more broadly speaking. And then, of course, within our college, it needed to be conciliar as well. So that we took counsel and we took care um, 
to come to what I knew was going to be a very volatile situation if we if we were going to release this, which of course we didn't know until uh, January 2021 that we we're going to actually release it. None of these questions really uh, are new, are they, um, Bishop Stewart? I mean, questions pertaining to human identity um, have been around for a long time. They're they're ancient. I think we use that phrase uh, um, in 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 the pastoral address. Um, uh, but our our, our current conversation in society has introduced, in a sense, a highlighting and an intensity um, of these matters. Um, and one, one thing we do say in the statement, and let me quote it, um, the, the early chapters of the Bible reveal that the Lord made humans to be primarily doxological creatures designed to worship the one true God forever. Humanity's essential identity is found in communion with God and not in sexual activity. Now, I'm going to read that again in a minute, and I'm going to ask Bishop Stewart to comment on that, because this is a significant um, uh, foundation of this statement. And, And it's important for those of us who are wrestling with these things to grasp it. Humanity's essential identity is found in communion with God and not in sexual activity. Unpack that for us, Bishop Stewart, and tell us why then the bishops landed at the place they did without, without, uh, with, 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 with their encouragement uh, not to self-identify with sexuality and Christian faith. Well, let me just say first, that's an amazing sentence, and I wish I'd written it. <laughs> that's a really great sentence. That wasn't one of mine. Um, well, I think what, what's happening in that sentence uh, in a, a most remarkable and pithy way is what I was uh, 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 trying to say as well, which is uh, we're creatures made for communion. Uh, we're creatures made again for this this holy wedding, uh, this wedding feast of the Lamb. That's what we're made for. And of course, the doxological adjective is perfect. We're doxological creatures. We're, we're those then who are made to give glory to God. We're worshiping people, um, which of course is such a profound reality. We're sexed insofar as we're male or female, um, but we're not all sexually active. Uh, we're sexual beings without all, all being sexually active. As a matter of fact, many, many, many people are not sexually active. And, um, and, and if, if, if that required, if that was the uh, sort of admission ticket to become human, um, then we'd have a very different type of humanity. Instead, every single person can worship the Lord. Every single person can live for his doxology, for, for, for his glory. Um, every single person is called into some communion with God, as this sentence says. So I think this sentence just strips it down to the essence of who we are, as the Apostle Paul says over and over again, who we are in Christ. Yes, and, and that's so important, isn't it? Because it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives within me, working out the will and the way and the calling and identity we have in him, in and through our lives by the power of God, the Holy Spirit. So Bishop, help us understand where the College of Bishops landed on this. How are we pastorally encouraging people with regards to engaging in this conversation and how to identify? Where did the bishops land? Mm. Well, I, I think we landed in a place of, of actually just stunning uh, uh community together in this process, it was, it was truly staggering. Um, 
to come to a place um, where there is such a unity of heart and mind. This is everyone agrees with every single thing that's said there. I'm not saying that. But it was after seven and a half years in the college, it was a remarkable moment. And I think a few things happened for us. And, and I'll just speak for myself, perhaps on behalf of the college, but for myself. Um, one is that I think we realized that, that this is a place where language is very important. And um, and the, the clarity around language of identity is extremely important. And we stated that very clearly. And as we said in the letter, we're not only concerned for right now, well, we are concerned for right now. We want people in the ACA to, to know how to think about themselves, especially if they're same-sex attracted in this, this particular case. Um, but we're thinking 20, 30, 40 years down the road as well. And we're trying to provide clarity for, for the future. I think, I, think, I think that was one of the pieces that happened. I think another thing that happened is amidst that strong clarity and that biblical call to identity in Jesus alone is also, and I hope it comes through. I, I think it does, but I really hope it comes through because it's very important to me personally. Um, I'm in so many relationships with so many who have profound, I mean, profound same-sex attraction. And um, it marks their whole lives and they don't want it to. Uh, mm. they, they feel like it's, um, it's been visited upon them in so many ways. They're, they're fighting the good fight. They're trying to live a pure life, but it's a constant reality, you know, and, and it affects just more than their feelings, of course. It affects so many ways that they think about themselves. And I, I really wanted to make sure that for those who live that, that they heard us saying to them as fathers in Christ, while we may not ourselves experience it, and, and there may be some in the college you do, I, I don't know. But when we're ourselves experience it, we do know the experience of temptation. We know the experience of being overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And we've heard your voice when you said, this is so overwhelming. We've heard you. And we want to do all we can to bring you the comfort of the gospel, um, the, the beauty of the gospel. And we want to trust in the gospel that it will be the best way to pastor you and to shepherd you, as it is the best way for us to be pastored in our own inordinate and dis, um, disordered affections. So I think that's another thing that was really important to us as a college, was for clarity, but for a deep, deep word of proper gospel empathy. That's true. Talk to us, um, Bishop Stewart, about those who are ministering directly in amongst uh, the the. Um, uh, non-Christian community, particularly the homosexual community, the lesbian community, with the gospel. Some of them have come back. One came back to me and said, look, uh, what you're saying here, I grasp it, but it's difficult for me in mission. It's difficult for me to reach out and um, and and not use some of the language you're encouraging me not to use. Um, just and, and we, we as bishops wanted to recognize that. Where'd you reference that in the statement? Can you talk to us about that? Yes, absolutely. Um, and uh, I, I, I've got pastors uh, within our diocesan movement that are uh, called in many ways to the LGBT community and involved there. And I listen to their voices and, and we had others that are very involved um, in that community that's outside the church. So I think the primary thing that we were speaking to, of course, was inside the church. This was a pastoral letter uh, to the ACNA church um, and to our to our own, uh, if you will, sons and daughters of the church. So that was the primary thrust of this. But we did recognize that there are many within our church who are seeking to do mission in many places, including the LGBT community. And we understand that, especially in that arena, there will need to be um, proper gospel contextualization. And that the use of language 
um, will need to be properly contextualized. We want to bless that. We, we uh, of course, assume and hope that that will happen carefully with a priest. Um, that will happen carefully, uh, possibly if need be, with a bishop so that um, it is aligned with what we're teaching here, which we believe is in line with the scriptures. But the need for missional application is noted and described within the statement. I think that was very important that that was the case. Again, we've got the, thank you, we've got the uh, a pastoral statement from the bishops referenced in the show notes of this edition, but let me read a portion of it to you that that uh, helps you grasp where the bishops landed when we've talked about identity, which Bishop Stewart has, has articulated for us today. The bishop said this, there is also the concern we have with adding more adjectives to describe different sorts of Christians. Weighing the biblical testimony, we certainly cannot in good conscience encourage more such modifiers without biblical or historical precedent. Designations such as gay Christian or same-sex attracted Christian are simply not what the New Testament offers as a way of defining a Christian or his or her community. We are not ultimately gay Christians or same-sex attracted Christians, the bishop said. We are Christians. We are, we are men and women whose lives are hidden in Christ, Colossians 3. Our journey of transformation is a pilgrimage in which we count all things rubbish for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, Philippians 3. That is why the only name commended in Scripture to take over our identity is Christ in one, Christian. Bishop, that's such a powerful statement, I believe, but there have been many who have found that very difficult. There have been some who have said, I've always identified myself in this way. I've always had to say, I'm gay and I'm celibate, but I believe in Christ. What what word would you give? give to them if they're listening to this episode. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's a very important pastoral question. And I've had opportunity to have that conversation with many uh, personally. It's almost harder to answer it isn't in like a podcast format where I'm not actually with uh, that man or woman um, in that interpersonal dialogue. Uh, but I think that at, at that point, um, we must do two things. Uh, we must, again, listen well and listen carefully. We don't need to be threatened when somebody feels that way strongly. Um, we need to understand why they feel that way strongly and why the language and the adjective of gay is so important to them. Uh, at the same time, as we listen carefully, I do think we must hold the ground that we sought to take here and to move them toward the biblical description of who they are as a person. Because that will be the only way that they will have the fullness of life. Um, am I saying that somebody who is calling themselves a gay Christian but holds to the doctrines of the scripture will not have the fullness of life? I think I'm, what I'm trying to say is that I, I do believe that that language can become a stumbling block uh, to that full identity. And I guess what we're saying in the statement. And I think that's a bold thing to say and um, could come off as quite harsh for some and not understanding. Uh, I hope that's not the case. But I do think it's so worth it to be aligned with biblical language and ecclesial language through the centuries. Uh, that, that, was, that is the word that I, I would say to folks that are, are caught in that, 
is you'll find even greater riches in your identity in Jesus, first and foremost. And we've also invited and called for a commitment to depend on the Holy Spirit to reorder all of our disordered affections, mine too, especially through the application of Scripture in our lives. And so that underscores for folk who are reading this statement, who are listening to Bishop Stewart and myself, that the bishops of the Anglican Church in North America continue to believe what Christ taught, what the Bible has always taught, that he is able to transform our lives. And it may take a considerable period of time as we yield ourselves more deeply into his will, and he takes us deeper into his word and further up into his presence. But Bishop Stewart, you have seen lives changed over a course of time by God, the Holy Spirit. Can you just tell us a little bit about that before we wrap up today? Absolutely. And, and Bishop Julian, just, I'd love to answer that. I'm going to say one other quick thing about the, state, the, the sentences that you read um, just previous. Um, I also want to say that uh, like what you read there captures what is very important, which is that was kind of the reformed Catholicity money moment there. Because um, what you had was us making our argument from a historical consensus of Scripture. So while it is a pastoral statement, and it absolutely is that, it is also, to be clear, um, we're making the argument that from a historical consensus reading of Scripture, uh, we did not accept uh, the language of gay Christian in an objective way. We do not see it in the historical consensus, and I'm using our, our catechism for that. So um, part of what you do see happening in this statement, uh, besides the explicit realities that we're going after, identity, sexuality, is a strong Reformed Catholic hermeneutic uh, driving why we're coming to the arguments that we're coming to. You hear, you hear uh, um, you know, early thinkers of the church are quoted, the prayer book is quoted, and of course, primarily, the scriptures are quoted, a classic Reformed Catholic way of coming at things. Um, and Julian, just to, to your other question around transformation, uh, this is something that's extremely important to me. Uh, my own life has been so profoundly transformed by life of the scriptures, life in the church, the life of the Holy Spirit, deeply transformed. Um, I've been released of so many things I've struggled with. I'm still struggling with other things, uh, but I have known profound transformation that I am concerned that there is ever any kind of foreclosing on the transferring power of the Lord. And one thing that we did say carefully in the statement, and I may not remember it exactly right now, but we spoke to transformation and change. And what we were saying is that there can be several kinds of transformations. There can be a transformation of desire. There can be a transformation of attraction. I have seen that multiple times with those who are same-sex attracted. It might be that they are actually go through a transformation over time where they have a development attraction to the opposite sex. It might be that they have a development attraction to one person of the opposite sex and uh, are thereby perhaps called into marriage. Others uh, do not are called into marriage or called into celibacy. But I've seen a transformation of affection, of desire, of attraction. I have certainly seen as well a transformation of the will, the ability to, to live in the Lord with an abiding same-sex attraction. I've seen an attra a transformation of hope uh, that, that God is working in me for good and that God is moving, Jesus is moving things in my soul uh, toward the ultimate uh, life that we desire in him and hope. So I've seen transformation of attraction. I've seen transformation of will. I've seen transformation of hope. And they come in different ways and at different times. We need to be careful not to over-manufacture this understanding of transformation, but to allow it the nimbleness and the dynamism that I believe the Bible allows. 
Bishop Stewart, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Living Through the Word for your leadership in God's church, your heart towards Christ, the gift of your wife, Catherine, and your family to the church. We are grateful to have you on this episode, sir. Uh, Bishop Julian, thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you for your partnership and friendship in the gospel. I'm so uh, thankful for the work that you and I and so many brothers and sisters throughout the East get to do for the sake of reaching others. At the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word, we're here to equip and edify your walk with Christ. To find out more about the ongoing ministry of the diocese, the congregations, ministries, and chaplains, including details about our upcoming 2021 Missions Conference and Synod, where we'll be engaging about embodied hope, visit us online at adlw.org. I'm Julian Dobbs, and this has been Living Through the Word. Let's close with a word of prayer. Most loving Father, you will us to give thanks for all things, to dread nothing but the loss of you, and to cast all our care on the one who cares for us. Preserve us from faithless fears and worldly anxieties, and grant that no clouds of this mortal life may hide from us the light of that love which is immortal and which you have manifested unto us in your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.